0: All right, so the teaching text for today, we are continuing with 1 Peter four twelve through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And... If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I do want to give a massive thank you to our church family for, uh, for all the love and support last week. It was incredible. That's a pretty incriminating video, actually. There's, if you zoom in, Allison is giving me drugs in that um, In that exchange, I I got caught up uh, running to my corral before the race started and had planned to take a preemptive Tylenol and didn't. So I'm trying to get a message out to her with like 20 million cell phones, um, bring Tylenol to mile seven. Um, So... It was it was such such an encouragement. Marathon Sunday is a magical day, but uh, a lot of the magic was happening in here. I got to go back and and listen to Jackie's message from last week. It was absolutely fire, um, so helpful. I, I am just going to humbly try and uh, and roll on with with some of what she began last week. So, um, if you missed that for any reason, I highly recommend going back and listening to Jackie's message from last week. You can find it and all the messages from, from this series on the on the website tgcparkslope.com so Jackie drew out some of the heart of this letter as we we're, we're, you know we're in the meat of it now we're we're actually nearing the, the end in just a couple of weeks um you know written to this this early group of followers of Jesus scattered across uh, the Roman empire in the in the 1st century and yet somehow Uh, She did a beautiful job of of showing how these words still speak so personally to us today. uh, Jackie sort of uh, hung her her remarks, her, her sermon on these three ideas, that we are called to suffer well, uh, not the most popular theme in, in all of the Bible, but a, a reality nonetheless. If we're going to have a, a, a life that actually makes sense and works in a world where suffer, suffering is so prevalent, we're going to have to know how to, to navigate that. In suffering, what we believe about God matters, and in suffering, love, joy, and community matters. So, like I said, I, I want this very humbly to be almost like a part two of what, what Jackie had to, uh, to say last week. Um, but here's the thing, as I was just alluding, if you're going to have a life that works, that is sustained, that is full, that is abundant, you're going to have to have some way of dealing with pain and suffering. We know this philosophically, uh, we have lots of questions around it, the, the origins, the reality, the, the, the meaning of suffering, what's it all about, we have philosophical questions about suffering, but... but we also know it experientially. It is just a part of our lives. There's no denying it. There's no uh, getting around it. We all know what it is to live through difficult days. Some of you know very uh, deeply, tenderly, what it is to live through tragedy, to live through tragic loss, to live uh, through immense stress, to live through uh, all, all, all manner of, of, of suffering and I think Peter is, in this passage, talking about a particular type of suffering um, near, near the end of this letter. We, we, he's touched a lot of subjects at this point, but he's talking about a particular type of subject. Uh, but his words, I think they have a wider reach for us. Uh, he, he says, uh, do not be surprised. Do not be caught off guard when your life runs into difficulty, runs into pain, as if you had no idea something like this could could happen. Do not be surprised. But even though he still calls it a fiery ordeal, do not be surprised. So have, have uh, categories in your mind and heart. Have a, um, a, a certain level of expectation about what the world is really like and still know when you hit those patches of pain and suffering in life, they're still, it's not like just expecting it is going to make the pain go away. They're still going to feel like fiery ordeals things that can consume us, that can threaten our lives at every level, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. So I want to work our way towards the specific suffering that Peter's talking about uh, in in this passage, that the recipients of of this letter were living through. But I want to start a little bit wider, if we can, uh, with some categories of suffering that are very prominent in our day, uh, that, might, that we might not hear quite enough about. Um, so the first type of suffering, I'm going to go through three. The first type of suffering I, I, I'm referring to is what we're going to call uh, the suffering that comes with, with uh, God without the kingdom. So this is the, the type of suffering, the type of misery that is associated with naming Jesus, but primarily just trying to live the regular old American dream. Uh. And this is possible for us, this is possible for for large swaths of our society because there's an accepted, widely practiced way of being Christian in America that involves all the language without the life. And, And so we know how to talk about Jesus, we know how to organize certain ideas in our heads about God, but we're not in any sort of meaningful way deeply committed to living in the dust of the rabbi, walking in the actual, practical, detailed way that Jesus lived, and this causes all kinds of issues. We, we, we know how to sing to Jesus, but we don't necessarily know how to walk in the way of Jesus on Tuesday and Wednesday. We're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and in some, in some instances, there's been such a melding in our minds and hearts and stories of America as a Christian nation that we think we can just uh, pursue our own co- uh, comfort exactly like our neighbors and then baptize the whole thing under a weekly Jesus talk. And that's Christianity. Now the misery of this, the suffering that comes from this God without the kingdom thing is that we're hearing about the abundant life of Jesus, the fullness of life in the Spirit. We're actually getting regular invites to share in that, but we're living with with the same regular old selfish, stressed out, distracted, consumeristic, individualistic, sin trap lives exactly like everyone else. So you're hearing these big, beautiful, shining examples of gospel, but our lives look exactly like our neighbors. So there's a suffering that comes from that. There's a deep disappointment. There's a disillusionment. There's a, is this real? Do I want anything to do with this? There's a suffering that comes from the type of life that names God but doesn't experience the Jesus way or the the kingdom. Another type of suffering I think that's worth mentioning uh, that also happens in our culture is the other side of that reality, and that's wanting the kingdom without God. And so this, this is uh, you know, a, a misery, a type of suffering that is... Um, It's particular to to, to our our day. It's been around lots in world history, but a particular kind of sophisticated, secular humanism that longs for and even names accurately aspects of God's kingdom, but wants nothing to do with God. It, It... it's when we begin to imagine that the deep needs of the human soul and the deep needs of the human community will all be addressed, all of them will be addressed. If we just get the right people in office, we get the right programs running, we get the right ideology being taught in school, we get all the backwards people moved to the margins and their voice minimized, then we can truly live the, the, the dream in, in a sense. We want what the the scriptures describe as the kingdom of God, but we'll take it from here. We'll put ourselves in the center of the story. So what happens is we want something like love, a fruit of the Spirit, but you can't really do love in a sustained way without profound self-denial, so we want love, but we're not so keen on self-denial, and so what we have to do is we have to sort of repackage love into lust, or mere attraction, or just romance, or, or, or agreement, right? Love in our, in our society sometimes gets just labeled as agreement. <laughs> And it's not the full, robust, sustaining, uh, magical, beautiful thing that love is in the scriptures. It's reduced to all these things because we're trying to pull the God part out of it, the self-denial, the giving of your life out of love, and it gets severely reduced. We want justice Absolutely, but we want our version of it in our way, and so what we do is we end up repeating this cycle where those who who come to power quickly become the oppressors with the power that they've won. We see this this story repeated in history over and over and over again. Basically, all human beings, I remember being a... um, a middle school pastor for a few minutes in my life and putting this like list on one side of a, of, a, of a board, a whiteboard piece of paper for these middle schoolers and talking about everyone wants these things that are called the fruit of the spirit. We want love. Right, maybe you don't call it that. We want joy, we want peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We want all these things that are the attributes of the Spirit of God mingling in a relational way with the life of a human being. We want these things, but we want them without God. And so we go about all manner of ways of getting these things without God. We want the fruit of the Spirit, but we want them disconnected from God and from the character of God that they spring from. The challenge with this is we keep getting profoundly let down When you withdraw the transcendent and insist only on the material, your world begins to get very small. When you want the kingdom that your heart really was made for, but you want God out of the center of it, you end up dashing yourself against the rocks of reality in a repeated way. I want to say I have seen and experienced both types of sufferings. I have wanted God named him or, you know, saying to him and yet not known anything about living the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus. I've known that suffering in my life. I've also wanted the kingdom, the the aspects of the the beautiful life God invites us to and promises for us and for society, but I've wanted to stay in control. And here's the interesting part. (laughs) These two painful states are not that far apart, <laughs> even as they often get stereotyped on the right or the left in America, and especially in our political discussions. We'll see these things, like we, 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 we have been acknowledging in so many ways, we, we're feeling our divisions as a society in a profound way right now over the last uh, two, three years, and and and, and I can't remember a time when we were feeling them at some level, but it does feel like the volume has turned up a little bit. And so, you know, stereotypically, and this breaks down, this is too big of a summary, but stereotypically you'll get people on the right, uh, the right um, I- I- evoking God, naming the name of God, but their life and character not necessarily looking like Jesus. And then you'll get the left holding up Jesus' vision and Jesus' compassion without wanting Jesus himself. So that's overly simplified. But we don't really like to hear that, how similar these two sides actually end up being in actual life. There's not a remarkable lot of difference in their day-to-day. There's difference in their Facebook posts, but there's often not as a massive amount of difference in their day-to-day life. And we hate to hear this because we get so entrenched in our side of things being right and this might be a stretch from what you heard read as the text, but just hang with me for just a second. If you hear someone in America defend the rights of gun ownership, right, a typically like on the right side of things issue, and then you hear someone defend the right to uh, choice or to abortion in America, right? Guns and abortion, right? Two obviously like opposite ends of the political spectrum in, in stereotypical ways of thinking about it. What is crazy is you hear remarkably similar rhetoric used to describe both. You're going to hear about rights and protection. You're going to hear about government overreach. You're going to hear about political liberty. You're going to hear the same sort of foaming at the mouth, frustration at the other side that they can't see it. But underneath that, there's this kind of hollow pain because the world is not going as we hoped. The kingdom without God leaves us fundamentally disappointed. God without the kingdom leaves us miserable. I had a youth minister say the most miserable person in the world is someone who's naming Jesus and not experiencing the abundant life Jesus promised. It's so disillusioning, so frustrating. But then there's a third type of suffering. And this one is I think what Peter's getting at in this passage. This is the suffering that comes with God and the kingdom. So you're naming Jesus and you're following Jesus. In the words of Jesus' commission to his disciples, you've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you're learning to obey the things that Jesus taught. At Trinity Grace, something we say all the time is that the kingdom of God moves along relational lines. And so post-resurrection... Jesus is with his disciples and he's telling them, I'm going to leave and that's a good thing and you're going to carry this thing forward, this relational kingdom forward into the world. And what's gonna happen is, first of all, you're gonna baptize people into the relational heart of God. You're gonna immerse them in the life of Trinity, baptize them in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Basically, like as you've seen me walk in the details of life in the world, show people how to live the way of Jesus and do the ministry of Jesus in their actual life. That is how the kingdom advances, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, learning to live and walk in the way of Jesus. The crazy part is is if you see them actually doing that as the New Testament grows on, it's not like their lives become remarkably easy. They still suffer a terrible amount. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Jesus mind-blowingly said, you're going to do even greater things than I've done. What? Life is still hard. You will suffer. I'm sorry to say, but you knew that already. Because we live in a broken world. And you will face profound resistance. Whatever life you choose, actually, but if you're choosing the way of God and God's kingdom, you're going to experience resistance at the level of the enemies of our soul, which Jackie named last week and which we've spoken about many, many times in the life of our church, the flesh, the world, and the devil. This is a sort of like... holistic way of understanding the type of resistance we experience as followers of Jesus in the world when we bear the name of Christ and when we live the life of Jesus. So what we mean, again, we've talked about this many times but the flesh, this is an internal longing to throw off the fatherhood of God and to go our own way. It's a instinct in us to meet the deep needs of our soul without taking God into account. That's that's the flesh. It's an operating system of doing life without God in, inherent in, in human beings that we have passed down to one another the 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 world what it's talking about so like you read the bible and it's like are we supposed to love the world or or, or hate the world supposed to be in the world and, and not live like the world like what's the deal with the world I feel like Jerry Seinfeld here what's the deal with the world what are we supposed to do anyway um when the bible's talking about the world in a negative way it's talking about the outward systems that are ingrained in that flesh operating system that have worked themselves out across society and across history it's where you see something that's like so blatantly evil that it runs over a massive swath of human life and we're like where on earth did that come from you see different historical examples where where evil gets entrenched in a system and this happens in big and small ways it's happening right now in in, in our, in our world where we have the outward challenges of the broken system of the world and then the devil right spiritual resistance temptation, deception, accusation from the enemy. The Satan in the Hebrew is the accuser. That you're gonna face resistance from these three enemies if you walk in the way of Jesus and you bear the name of Jesus. No matter what, you're gonna face suffering. And it's not because God is mean. It's because the world is broken. It's because our, our lives, our, our world, our society needs repair. So the, the question then comes to us what are you willing to suffer for there's a certain amount of suffering that's just going to come from living in a broken world but what is the type of suffering that you're going to choose to be willing to endure in your life and that's a profound question of every single human being's story and life and community the word passion We talk about the passion of the Christ. The classical definition and understanding of the word passion is basically what you're willing to endure for something else. When we talk about the passion of the Christ, we're talking about what Jesus was willing to endure for what? For the joy of redeeming, healing, calling family, you and I, to say, I welcome you in as mine forever, the veil is torn, come all the way in, be a part of my family, feel, feel this embrace, I deposit my spirit in you, it's forgiveness and union now and forever. So what's the passion of the church? Because First Peter has been telling us over and over again, church, you are the church, What's your passion? What are you willing to suffer for so that it can be birthed in the world? I don't wanna belabor this, but um, I was just trying to think of all the different categories of suffering, and this is not like the most thrilling part of, of, of the message, but just think about the different ways that we experience suffering in our world. At the top of the list, we're contending with death all of our lives, right? There's a reality that the best parts of what we're experiencing are going to come to an end in this form in some way. And that is a terrifying reality for us. I happen to know that, that many of you have experienced grief ar- ar- around this very reality this week. We, we're wrestling with the idea of death, with the reality of death, but also relationships ending. Some of you know the death of relationships, the agonizing pain. I can't tell you how many people I've I've spoken with. And over the last two years in the pandemic, their relationships changed shape. Some of their marriages began to fall apart. Like loose ends came up. Old wounds were dragged up. And we deal with the, the pain of relationships ending, the pain of relationships changing. We used to be so tight. Now it feels like there's an ocean between us. Arguments. Illness, physical and mental injury, trauma, violence, internal distress, uh, systemic evil, racism, exclusion, greed, dehumanization, exhaustion, attrition. Things break down in our world. The best things don't seem to last. I was like talking with my wife. I was like, what am I missing here? (laughs) This is parking. (laughs) Thank you. Alternate side. <laughs> Start circling my block. Now I'm in Coney Island. <laughs> it's a Tuesday at nine, no one's moving. <laughs> Inside of this one category of unjust suffering is is the resistance, the challenge, the pain that comes with being identified with Jesus, as this passage calls it, bearing the name. And this is what Peter's readers were facing. And and, and many of us are gonna have points in our life where we have to make a decision about this reality for ourselves. And I wanna say what Peter shares in these few verses is a tremendous guide for us. And I just wanna give you his very quick four pieces of counsel about how to deal with the reality of suffering for bearing the name of Jesus so that when that moment comes, or if you're in that moment now, we have some resources for dealing dealing with it. So the first thing he says, the 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 off-the-top thing that he addresses is, do not be surprised. Basically, the first thing to notice is there's a role that expectation plays in suffering. And the instruction is do not be surprised. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, look, what you expect the world to be like plays an important role in how you respond to pain and suffering. And I don't think he's inviting kind of like um, a hopeless cynicism here. I don't think he's saying, yeah, you should always expect every day is going to be miserable and a lot of pain is going to come your way and people are going to hate you if you're identified with Jesus. So just get out there and mope your way through it. I don't think that's what he's saying. But he is asking followers of Jesus to remember and to keep in front of themselves. And when you forget for someone else in the priesthood of believers to remind you that we live in contested space. We live in a world of spiritual conflict. There is a real war going on for people's hearts and souls. As, as much as we're not crazy about the military metaphors of the scriptures in our, in our day, there really is an actual conflict going on for people's souls, yours included, The horror of the cross comes in a world that is so broken that this is the way redemption takes place. It calls to mind what Peter shared with the church at Ephesus. Many of you will have heard this, but finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. This doesn't sound like you're just going out into a day that could go either way. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If there's no conflict, you're way overdressed for regular life. But this says put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand. For our struggle is not, and this is so important for the church to hear, is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the armor of God. Our struggle is against our own selfishness, against the broken systems of this world, and against the accuser, the flesh, the world, and the devil. And we get surprised, do not be surprised, we get surprised when we forget the brokenness of the world and when we forget these enemies of our soul. And we're like, what's going on? This is so difficult. The other, and we mentioned this earlier in this series, I'm not going to go into a, um, a ton of depth on this, but we, we almost never have a positive vision of testing in our, our understanding of, of, the, of the Christian life, our, our walk with Jesus. We get it in smaller human levels that like you, you give a child more responsibility to see if they're ready for the next thing, but we, we forget to imagine God in that way, even though He says to us, "If you're faithful with a little bit, I'll entrust you with more." The reality is, sometimes God's not testing us to be mean. <laughs> it, is a, it is a question about the true allegiance of our heart. What are passion? What are you willing? to endure, to to name and live the way of Jesus in a world that's flowing the opposite way. That is an important test because what can you be trusted with in the lavish risks and creative love of the kingdom of God in the world? Like We have to be tested and and, and ready for those parts of, of our life. We get surprised when we forget the brokenness of the world. We often don't have any positive vision of what testing could be about. But Peter is saying, you can expect to participate in the life of Jesus You can expect to participate in the life of Jesus. And I'm all about that. Give me the resurrection. Give me the inheritance. Give me my true name. Give me a fellowship with community. But also you look at Jesus' life and the profound resistance he experienced. And and we're going to participate in that as well. This participation is our great inheritance. We join with Christ now. And we join with Christ forever. So do not be surprised. This is part of it. You're going to be okay. Literally. Literally. You're gonna be okay because you are united to Jesus and Jesus is going to be okay. So what should you do? Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Instead, what? Rejoice. Such a preacher thing to say about suffering it's like, oh, come on, seriously. To me, rejoice here is absurd. It's like, what is going to follow next after don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal you're going through? Grit and bear it and hope one day things change. No, it says rejoice. That's absurd. I want to say this is absurd, impossible, and recommended as a way to address suffering but rejoice much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. If you are suffering for the name of Jesus, it is the most worthwhile suffering on earth. I don't think it's something that we're meant to seek out, to make our lives more difficult. (laughs) But when the world gives us a choice between its acceptance or clinging to Jesus, we're to cling to Jesus. That's, That's the call that's coming through this passage to us. And I wanna say, that's not lost on me how difficult that is, right? The immediate social acceptance of people that hold Significant influence in our life really matters. I'm not saying that it's easy. That, that, that social acceptance is profound. But it's being compared with identifying with Jesus. And so why? Why would you rejoice? Why, how could that possibly be the, the, the absurd and yet recommended response to this type of suffering? And basically the answer is in the rest of the letter. He is the shepherd and overseer of your soul. The person that you're embarrassed That they find out that you're identified with Jesus, as important as they may be in the world and society in your own heart, they are not the shepherd and overseer of your soul. They are not able to tend to the very deepest needs of your human longings now and forever in the way that the shepherd and overseer of your souls, Jesus, is able to do. He is the one who's given us new birth into a living hope, a share in resurrection. So the top of the list death there has become a comma and not a period in the Christian story. And that is our hope. This letter is about that magical reality of hope that makes the human heart buoyant no matter what it is facing. He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He is the one who's given us new birth into a living hope, share in the resurrection, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That is why you rejoice when you face a fiery ordeal for being in union with Jesus. We are those who participate with, with Christ in this life. So, Rejoicing in this context is absurd unless we remind our hearts of the true life that we have. Rejoicing in this context is impossible unless we have this gift that we are filled with the spirit of glory and of God. You're not meant to endure the fiery ordeals of being united to Jesus out of your own willpower. You are meant to endure by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's absurd, it's impossible, and it's recommended because it puts um, the small though agonizing rejections that we experience in this world and its systems into context that we are, thank God, united to Christ and his life becomes ours and his future becomes ours. That's the first two bits of Paul's counsel. The second two are going to go faster. You won't imagine how fast, but one, don't be surprised. Two, rejoice. But then the third piece of counsel is pay attention to the source of the suffering. Is this for sin or is this for Christ? Am I suffering because of my own selfishness or am I suffering for love in the kingdom of God? The worst, and if we, we've all, let's admit, right, we come together as a church, we confess together, maybe we've, maybe we've done this, but the very worst is when someone gets puffed up in self-righteousness, thinking that they're suffering because of Jesus, when their actual life looks nothing like Jesus at all. This is troubling and disorienting, but we see, we see it. I, just a note, and I'm not trying to be overly sarcastic here, but the suffering in first century Asia Minor for Christians wasn't being forwarded articles by people with a different perspective than them. That's not the suffering that they're talking about. It's more like being fed to lions. But Peter still says, look at why. Why are you suffering? If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. What? However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Look at this list. It seems like it's out of nowhere. Listen, don't kill people, don't take people's stuff. You know, don't commit any crimes. Don't be a meddler. What is happening? What is this what is this lift? Don't be someone who takes life. Don't be someone who takes other people's valuables. Don't be someone who disregards the community for your own selfish ends. And then don't be someone who makes everybody's business your business. Here's the thing. So many of our sins carry their own consequences, People talk about the wrath of God and, and think about like this, this judge from on high you know shaking, shaking in anger. You wanna know the, 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 the wrath of God, what it looks like over and over again in the scriptures is people getting their own way. They're getting the life they choose and the results of that life come flowing back to them and because it's in discord with their soul and discord with the way God has made the world, the, the consequences of the sinful lifestyle flow back on us. Sometimes we sin and suffer the pain of a life away from God and then we pass the blame on to God. Some commentators think that these four things, I'm not staking my reputation on this, um, but think these four things were things that Christians were commonly accused of so that they could be arrested for being Christian. (laughs) And Peter's saying, even still, even if these are false accusations, don't let any of these things in the smallest way be true of you, all the way down to inserting yourself into someone's business that doesn't concern you. It's very problematic when we take suffering just from life in the world and from our own choices, our own mistakes, and we try to call it persecution for being a Christian. Instead, Let us beautifully, humbly, courageously bear the name of Jesus. And this is the last of his pieces of counsel. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The last bit of counsel from Peter here is to bear the name. Bear the name to be courageous and hopeful because your life and Christ's life are united. And here's the thing he, 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 he gets at, he's been getting at in this letter, is that bear the name of Jesus because Jesus is the one who is going to mature you Jesus is the one who is going to, to call you into the fullest, most alive, most, most creative, most holy version, uh, most intended version of your life. Jesus is committed to the, the, the glorified future version of you that we are seeing glimpses of now and that you can grow into in a profound way. Jesus will mature you. Jesus will also reward you. Everything that you lose, he says this to his disciples, everything you give up for my kingdom, you are going to get back tenfold beyond what you could possibly imagine you were going to receive it for what you've you've surrendered in faith for me. Jesus is going to keep every single promise, but this bear the name piece is important for us. I don't... We don't have time to draw out all the sociological like, origins of this reality. But for many of us, the real temptation now is, is not necessarily to publicly identify with Jesus and then live a life that looks nothing like Christ. Our temptation in in Brooklyn in 2021 is to try to live a life that looks like Jesus in such a way that after 15 years of being friends with someone, they might say, what's different about you? It's that we never wanna actually cross over that line and let them know, here's my Jesus card, you're not gonna believe it, but yes, I am a person of faith, right? Because there's, what, what is it? That social acceptance weighs so much because there's a sense that, that being sophisticated and educated and, and successful in our world means that you did it yourself somehow or, or that you've taken in the right messages, but it doesn't usually involve a, a profound surrender to a divine being. So bearing the name is the contested space for many of us. You're willing to live a nice Jesus-type life and hope someone notices, but many of us are not willing to say, yes, I am actually identified with Jesus and to connect those two in power. And Peter is saying, listen, that's... (laughs) And I also just quickly wanna say, there's, there's there's a difference between the actual person of Jesus and bearing that name. And then sometimes the cultural version of Jesus that's put out in a, in a, in a popular way and bearing that name. And I understand the distance dis- sometimes we want to make in those two things. But the reality is, the, he says, the testing is coming to, the, to, the, to us to the people in this spiritual house. Peter is essentially saying, uh, I know there is pressure on you. I know your commitments are being tested. I know your allegiance is being sifted. I know it's, it's, it's a real challenge to know how, how you're going to navigate these difficult waters. But it is right that it happens in the house of God first. This is supposed to be the place where people can come and experience the life of God. So, People are giving up on God for so many lesser reasons, but Peter's saying it's absolutely worth it to hang on, and then he he closes with how you do it, closes. He doesn't close the letter here. We're closing our service, though. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is my invitation to you, church, from from Peter, (laughs) the the one who knew what it was to deny Jesus' name, the one who knew what it was to wrestle, to live the way of Jesus in a public way, the one who would, in his own passion, give his life for being identified with this Jesus, he's saying, what do you do? His instructions are remarkably simple. Commit yourself to your faithful creator and continue to do good. Basically, bear the name and live the life. Bear the name and live the life. Not one single ounce of Jesus' pain or Jesus' blood was wasted. Not one single thing, not one single thing you suffer for union with Christ will be lost, will be wasted. Church, in case you have forgotten from earlier in this letter, you are still a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. Do you believe that you play a role in divine joy, that God gets thrilled, gets excited, gets joyful, begins singing when he thinks about you? God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Our purpose as a church, our way of life as followers of Jesus is to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We are a people made by mercy. Made by mercy to show love and mercy. That means bearing the name and living the life. And I think one of the things we need to do if we're gonna bear the name, is name our fears around this. Is to be honest about where the actual places of conflict come for us. Where is the social tension felt? Where do I feel the need to hide? Where do I feel the need to clam up? Where do I feel the desire to distance myself from Christ? Be honest about those places and bring those situations and your real heart to God and say, what does it look like in my actual real life for me to bear the name and live the life? for to commit myself to my faithful creator and continue to do good. That's the invitation. I wanna ask you to listen for the Holy Spirit, to speak to you on those matters right now. Name your fears, bring them to God, bring the real situations of where you wanna distance yourself from bearing the name and living the life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Would you form us to be a people of faith, a people of courage, a people whose love triumphs over our fear, a people who are willing to bear the name of Jesus because Jesus is the name of salvation, a people who are willing to do that winsomely and lovingly, but also courageously. May our lives match our confession, God, where there is a lack of integrity, a lack of wholeness in how we live. Would you bring healing? Would you bring mercy? Would you clean us with your love? Give us your wholeness and integrity. Help us to bear the name and live the life. Direct each of us in the specific way we are meant to respond In Jesus name amen